Blog Talk Radio. Quarters. Security, condition three. Thank you. Security three, sir. Zero quarters three. Intruder alert. GQ three. Intruder alert. See, life doesn't get any better than when you have a cool doorman like that and uh, <laughs> and have the people that I have on the podcast. Good evening and welcome once again to Madam Perry Salon. I am your host and cruise director, Madam Perry, or you can call me Jennifer Perry or J-Mod. Hey, thank you. I've got to say, first of all, thank you to everyone. The, the numbers, the listenership, the downloads and uh, subscribers has really had a big jump, especially in the last couple of months. You've really jacked it up. And, um, and that's because of uh, all the people that listen and tell their friends and share the podcast, Madam Perry Salon. And that also helps me get you know, good sponsors and helps me get super guests like we've been having, like we have coming up soon, like we have tonight. Uh, so thanks to you all and thanks to my guests and sponsors. Hey, and just to start off, you know, we always do a little bit, a bit of a, a news roundup with some uh, previous guests. Um, don't forget the Wrecking Crew documentary, the Wrecking Crew film about the musicians in L.A. in the 60s, 70s, uh, Carol Kay, uh, who was a magnificent bass player, Carol Kay, who was the only woman in the, in the group, um, Hal Blaine, Tommy Tedesco, Earl Palmer, uh, Leon Russell, Glenn Campbell, all these people were in there, and they played a lot of records, played on a lot of things that we thought they were somebody else. They didn't always get credit, but uh, Denny Tedesco, his dad, Tommy Tedesco, was one of the wrecking crew, and uh, if you can watch this documentary, it's just great, and you can go to wreckingcrewfilm.com and get a copy of it, and like I said, he was on here about two months ago, and that show has gotten a lot of downloads, too, and thank you so much, Denny. Also, let's see, um, I've got bass on my mind. Rudy Sarzo, I think now he's going to be out for a while with uh, Guess Who. But don't forget his book, Off the Rails. Remember, he was bass, that was when he was playing bass with Ozzy and uh, also covers a time that his friend Randy Rhodes passed away. Uh, but Off the Rails by Rudy Sarzo is good. Uh, Chasm Sultan's still out with... Todd Felder, so go see him, and then he's going to be back with Todd soon. Um, I think at the Yestival, and I don't know where I'm going to see Yestival. It's not coming to Atlanta. It's not coming to North Carolina, so I may have to I may have to just get in the car and go. But I got to see the Yestival, and it's going to be uh, Yes, Carl Palmer Experience, and Todd Rundgren. So anybody want to go on a road trip? Give me a call. And coming soon, we've uh, I got a, uh, we've got. Uh, Greg Hawks from the Cars and Todd Rundgren. Um, he emailed me that he's um, schedules like to schedule sometime in uh, later this 
later in August, and that'll be fun. Also, you remember Anthony Sharp, the guy, he's an actor and musician, but if, in America, most people know him from Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries, where he plays Cease. Um, he was on two weeks ago, hilarious guy, but his wife, oh my God, she's a riot, and uh She's going to be coming on soon, Julie. She, I knew first about her conservation work with uh, animals in Africa, you know, large animals. But she's also a comedian, and that's which is how they met doing stand-up. And she does this thing where she goes around the room with one of her characters called Sarah Pax, who's supposed to be the love child of Ozzy Osbourne and Sarah. I mean, uh, Ozzy Osbourne and Amy Winehouse is. Uh, yeah, and Sarah Pax, and she's hilarious. So check out juliesharp.com, uh, and she'll be on here soon calling in from Australia. Uh, but tonight, I am so psyched tonight. Uh, you know, you've all heard that uh, every time I get to hear live music, I think it just makes life better for everybody just to hear live music. And and believe it was the end of April, um, my husband when my husband was courting me, he took me to see this guy I'd never heard of before, but he took me to see, he said, I want you to go see this guy, Adrian Ballou. Adrian Ballou and the Bears at the time, so he took me. And that was a big part of, you know, my husband courted me by cooking and laughter and music. And so we started going to see Adrian. Well, this time we went to see Adrian Ballou Power Trio. And we've seen him in several incarnations, you know, Robert Fripp with everything, uh, King Crimson. But we went to see him at Terminal West in Atlanta, the Adrian Ballou Power Trio. And you guys know I love bass. As a jazz performer, I love big acoustic bass because you just feel it reverberate through you, and it's just a something about it. just gives you the magic. And, uh, but anyway, his bass player, phenomenal woman, absolutely exquisite. I mean, for gosh sake, she plays with Adrian, okay, and has for 11 years. She's one of the original students or graduates of the School of Rock and School of toured played with the original All Stars in the School of Rock and was in the documentary Rock School. She's also plays with the group Echo Test, uh, which is her group, or with another bass player and the Crimson Project, Paper Cat. She's got a lot of stuff going on. So let's just bring her this is her first time in Madame Perry Salons. Let's just bring her on in. Her name is Julie Slick. Julie, just part the beaded curtain and come on in here and find a nice, cushy uh, pillow to sit on. Well, hello. Thank you for having me. That was a nice introduction. Thank I'm you. Del- <laughs> oh, well, I'm delighted. I'm delighted to have you here. Um, yeah, I had to go through, you know, catching up on my guests because a lot of people follow and sometimes the guests send back information. And I want you to know what kind of company you're with and know that we're also going to be on and on, when you've got something going on, you tell me, and I'll tell everybody that's listening here. Cool. And uh, so, yeah, I just trying to keep up. And oh, and by the way, thank you because trying to keep up or, or everything with you to be able to give you uh, a worthy introduction is is uh, <laughs> like a job in itself. It's a little bit stressful, but uh, Julie, because you're you're no, a bassist and composer. Mm-hmm. Oh, good, good, good. Oh, okay, I can mark that <laughs> off, and that's, I'm going to celebrate this day. Uh, you're, all the information about you says you're known for a wide array of unique tones and substantial melodic and 
invention. And uh, you've created your a very distinctive voice through international performances, recording with such people as uh, people in the progressive rock and jazz communities with Adrian Below Power Trio, Crimson Project, Echo Test, RMS, Mozart Stick, Paper Cat, Springs. I mean, I don't know when you slow down enough to eat, but... Um, <laughs> well, I don't even live anywhere anymore. And... So that's why, yeah. You know, <laughs> I got rid of my apartment, I so I haven't lived anywhere for the last three and a half years. I've been just traveling. That's how I started my band. I mean, you know, just to start somewhere. I mean, I mean, that's kind of recent to talk about Echo Test. I mean, that's how it all started because I, you know, grew up in Philadelphia, and then I lived in L.A. for a year. Just you know, it happens. Musicians, you know, we get we get. Set up with a certain scene or whatever, you know, it's like, okay, I've had enough of the sure. East Coast. I've been here for 26 years, you know, it's like, I've been playing with, a, at that point, I've been playing with Adrian a while. Let's try out LA. And, you know, of course, it was very different culturally and everything. And at the end of that year, I sort of realized that I, I really just wanted to keep traveling. And I had a lot of tours with Crimson Project um, right after that. And that, you know, of course, it's the, the double trio with the Adrian Blue Power Trio and Stickmen, which has Tony Levin and Pat Mastelato and Marcus Reuter. And, you know, of course, we do music of King Crimson from the last, like, 30 years, basically, um, which they're most known for, those three in the band. Um, and so I, you know, just started another project linked off of that because I was in Europe. I just wanted, a lot, you know, an excuse to hang out in Italy, basically. So that's how Echo Test was born. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> so I could go back and get pasta whenever I wanted. <laughs> you know, I, I heard you say that in an interview that, you know, you just finally gave up the L.A. apartment, no place to live, and then you thought, ah, I'll go to Europe. Yep. And uh, what's the, so tell me about meeting uh, Marco. Well, I just, you know, I had already met him before. We, you know, we do this camp every year. It's actually coming up um, in a few weeks. It's called the Three of a Perfect Pair Music Camp. You know, that if that name sounds familiar, it's the name mm-hmm. of the King Crimson album that oh, yeah. uh, Tony and Adrian played on in the 80s. And, of course, not Pat Masolato, but he's in King Crimson as well. So they called that camp that. And we've been doing it um, almost every year except for one since 2011. And it's super successful and fun, like sells out every year. It's a like big workshop. Musicians and non-musicians are welcome. goes on for a week. It's up in... Uh, big Indian New York, near Woodstock, near where Tony lives. And it's just a great time. We spent a week up there. And so actually I met Marco as a camper there a couple years ago. So I basically, I knew that, you know, I physically I could take him if he was weird. I could, you know, he's like my size. No, I'm just kidding. It's just, uh, <laughs> hey, that's I, smart. It matters. Yeah, well, yeah. And, I, well, yeah, and I also knew he was a nice guy and I thought he was a really good bass player. So, when I basically just put a Facebook status up and said, uh, I, I want a reason to hang out in Europe after the Crimson Project tour is over, and I'm really um, welcome to collaborate. So I had a bass player in England, Steve Lawson, who I've you know, recorded with and played with in the past, and that was great. We, we improvised a few shows um, in the UK, and then I went to Italy, and it was really the first time playing one-on-one with Marco. I didn't know what to expect. Honestly, I was like really, you know, just so stressed out about having just like given up my place and really just kind of, am I, am I sure I'm doing the right thing? You know, is this is this a good idea? You know, like at that point I was 28 years old. It was kind of, 
you know, around me, all my friends are getting married, and here I am just kind of, like, going through a crisis, you know, like, I just don't know how to travel. I don't even know where I live. So I guess this will work, you know. So, you know, Marco and I really didn't do much in in the way of, like, organizing before we met up. I just knew I had two shows in Italy and booked a flight on a whim. Uh-huh. And when we sat down and started playing together in Bologna, it was just kind of it, the spark happened, really just I wasn't expecting it from another bass player, really, like, we, we were writing songs. It wasn't just like we were improvising. We were really writing specific music. So at the end, at you know, the week that I spent there with him in Italy, I, I knew that we had to, like, keep the band going. Of course, also after having eaten all the delicious food and after having realized that the two shows that we played were also in Tuscany, by the way. So that's not bad either. Like, you fall asleep after a, a you know, lovely meal of pasta and, you know, aged Chianti and then you ride up the hill and then you wake up and you're in Tuscany and, uh, you know, on this hillside and you're just, where, what, what, have I died and gone to heaven? And then all of a sudden you see your, you know, your face on a poster outside in the town you've never even been in before. It's like, okay, I guess I'm going to keep this band going. <laughs> Let's record a record and yeah. shake hands. You know? yeah, I was going to say, Julie, is that what heaven looks like? You know, pasta and Tuscany, you're yeah. playing and, I love you. Well, that's the thing. Well, that's that the thing. Is. You know, I just, you know, I wasn't afraid. You know, a lot of people wouldn't wouldn't go and do that. You know, wouldn't just like book a flight to Italy on a whim with somebody they just barely know to play music. You know, who knows if that's going to work? If the music is going to be terrible mm-hmm. and you're going to make an embarrassment of yourself? You know, so it's like you know, I, I and I took a lot of risks in the first place in the beginning of the year, you know, by getting rid of the place in the first place and then by, you know, agreeing to do the show. So it was such a nice reward to get at the end of that great risk. (laughs) And then I wanted to obviously keep it going. So I have been for the last three and a half years. So we just released our third album and we're, we're currently working on our fourth. So I would think that was a sign you were doing the right thing right there, right off, you know, Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, Oh, within like the first day of moving out of my place, I was literally like I had met the the Derek Riggs and his lovely wife Kim, and Derek is the artist who you know who drew all the Iron Maiden album covers, and he's a friend of Marco Miniman, oh, okay. you know, who's been in the Power Trio before. So I you know put all my stuff in storage in L.A. and really didn't have a plan at all. I wrote to Marco because we were supposed to hang out on New Year's, but I had a gig. And I moved out like the next day. And so I wrote to Marco and I said, you know, I know we were supposed to hang out last night, but you know, funny story. I actually just moved out of my apartment. And I don't have a single clue about where to go. So do you think I could stay at your place for a few days? Cause I had stayed with him before and like, he knows I can cook. So it's all good. He knows if I come out there, yeah. I'm going to like cook him a few meals and he tours so much. He's going to always appreciate a home cooked meal. So I went out there and I did that. And he basically, then he just invited me, you know, to house it for him because he had a tour with Joe Satriani and, the aristocrats right after that so next thing i know i was house sitting for him until the crimson project and then i met derek because he lives in the same town and then i was next day on a boat like watching whales reach out of the pacific ocean so that to me was like the ultimate sign right from the beginning like okay all right maybe this is the right move Maybe you shouldn't have an yeah, apartment right now. Say, <laughs> you, you had the full affirmation from the universe right there. Totally. Like, and, and, of course, every, everybody on the boat was saying, you know, we haven't seen any whales for five years. This is the, And we saw four. <laughs> it was ridiculous. <laughs> that's, 
<laughs> well, that's quite magical, I would think. Yeah. It was very magical. And then so that's how, you know, Derek ended up, you know, eventually, you know, we've, we've maintained our friendship. And, and that's the reason why Derek just did the the album cover for the last Echo Test record. He was so gracious to do that. So that was, you know, it's awesome. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's sweet. You know, talking about you know cooking and, and um, appreciating a good meal. I understand you're a bit of a foodie too. Oh, big time! As a, if you haven't noticed yet, but <laughs> the reason why I have an Italian band. No, I'm saying like the you know like oh. the impetus of the, you know going back to Italy all the time. All, like oh, just always buying a round trip ticket from Philly to Rome. Yes. <laughs> Oh, it's cool. I like your style. I really do, girl. You, you cover all the bases. And you know, and you know what the priorities are. You don't veer from them. Well, and food, food. You know, to me, music and food are kind of. It's like anything that's really artistic. Rap, you know, visuals the same way. It's like you eat with your eyes. You listen, You know, you eat with your ears. You eat with your mouth, obviously. So, food. I, I mean, it's really cool to me because when I cook, it's it's a lot like making music. You know, you're listening to the way things sound when you you know add them to the pan. Maybe I sound like a hippie right now, but. <laughs> No, it's just like so when, when it's when you sear something and it sizzles, or when you bring something yeah. in, um, and, and, and when, then the what timing. spices to add the depth of flavor. Yeah, exactly, exactly. All the different variables to making things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a woman I see her on. I think on the uh, public broadcasting. I don't know what her name is. Patty. It's Patty's Mexican Table. And I love when she cooks because she'll put everything in there and the spices on all the plate, put the lid on, and then she'll turn to the camera with these big eyes. And she's beautiful. She goes, oh, can you just imagine what's going on in there, in that pot with everything cooking together? <laughs> and I'm going, and when she says it, you know, it's so, so enthusiastic. Can you imagine? I'm going, yeah. You know, and then that makes me hungry. Just yeah. like, I just buy it, you know. She she knows how to bring oh, I know. it into it. Be, I'm thinking, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's why I have to be careful watching, you know, Food Network or cookies, you know, stuff. You know, when I when I do stay in a place for a while and I just, like, you know, get stuck on watching, like, for the last month I've not, you know, I was on the road, like, for the first half of this year pretty extensively, like, really actually extensively. So the last month I've really been taking it easy and, and I've been, you know, watching TV and stuff. And, like, it, it'll make you hungry. That's all I'm saying is, you know, it's dangerous. <laughs> You know, you're like, hey, oh, no. time for the snack, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. I've been so much, and I watched too many of. Boy, I'm ready to buy out the grocery store and make enough for you know the neighborhood. I'm like, yeah, come on, uh, exactly. Yeah, that's what's hard well, enough so, to go to the, to the farmers market at this time of year, not buy up the whole thing. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> well, did you get to eat anything good in um, in Atlanta? Because we have a lot of good restaurants. Oh, there, hold did on, you? let me think about this for a second. <laughs> oh, we just eat at the venue, you know. They have they have decent yeah. food there at Terminal West. But, yeah, we just had, like, the, the tacos and yeah. stuff that they have there. So yeah, it wasn't bad. West I mean, then they have, nice like, a too. good veggie menu. Yeah. It is a very nice place to play. And that was, like, one of the last shows of our tour. So we were definitely warmed up by then. <laughs> <laughs> no, no kidding. And uh, oh yeah, we we love the show. I mean, you guys went hard, you know, just solid <laughs> on the show. But so 
much. It's like, no matter, you know, Adrian is like Todd. No matter how many times I see, you know, Todd Runger, no matter how many times I see both of them, it's like everything feels, this familiarity and this fresh, you know, and every single yep. time, you know, it holds oh, me. Yeah, and then like seeing you up. and Tabat jumping on what? No, no, I'm saying I'm talking no, about like no. how he jumps over his aunt, like coming out on stage and like so <laughs> exuberant and full of energy at the age of 67, like ready to go <laughs> after like, you know, after like, you know, he's, I said, I've been on tour, you know, with, with Adrian mostly obviously for the first half of this year, but even before our tour started, I was, I was, you know, working on the echo test stuff and traveling, but he was like on this really intense, international world tour like promoting the tribute to David Bowie so he was already like had been around the world once over before we just started our like six months of intense touring every day <laughs> so and he's just mm. old and jumping over and put Terminal West after like you know 60 shows it's crazy yeah and it's like when and, um, and, and I remember there was, there's you of course being Julie Slick and the way you play, and I'm looking over at Tobias Ralph, and I even said to him after the show, I said, my gosh, you must have legs, bun, not just buns of steel, you know, thighs of steel. I mean, <laughs> watching him play the double bass on the drums. Yep. And, um, and and the thing is, with you now watching you, you've, played with, you've been playing with Adrian for what, about 11 or 12 years now? Yep, 11 years exactly almost. Pretty much, because like I think it and started. I think the show started in July 2006. So, yep. Okay, and so you can tell. You know, he he. Every time he always has such great respect for his musicians on stage. I know that ever since the first time I saw him, he always has a lot of love and respect for this for the band, for the musicians, and what's the show. But then, you know, like you seem to have like little sig from playing together so long, you know, your own little secret languages and little looks back and forth and, you know, always wondering, oh, yeah. is he trying to, you know, check her and stuff like that? Is he trying to do something? Oh. And then there was one where you turned yeah. around with these spring, spring later eyeglass, I mean, glasses with the eyeballs that spring out. <laughs> <laughs> They're like the steampunk goggles. That's what they are. My oh. friend made, gave me those. Okay. Yeah. I used to always wear sunglasses during this one song that has a lot of distorted bass on it, and it was kind of like the most shreddy bass. Like, I, basically, people, you know, I didn't have a bass solo before in the show, and people don't say, like, complain, like, oh, you don't have a bass solo. But trust me, on Madness or B, whichever song, you know, they're, they're very similar. So like, I'm soloing the whole time. So anyway, I would, like, show them this effect by putting on the sunglasses, like, all right, I'm shredding now, you know. <laughs> I'm gonna play a lot of notes. <laughs> so then it just my friend gave me this uh these steampunk goggles and I thought, well, of course this is actually now the next level up, of course, for the next tour I'm gonna wear these during this song and they're they've been a big hit this year. I wonder I'm gonna have to do like the goggly spring ball kind of glasses next to to, to over you know, to top these ones. <laughs> the goggles. <laughs> well, Okay, and here's another thing. Now I know you you come from a musical family, right? Yes, I do. And so not Grace Slick or Earl Slick, though. That's the question I get all the time, though. <laughs> oh, really? Questions. Well, I knew it was yep. Grace Slick, and then somebody said it was Earl Slick. But your family is musical. Yes. And so, 
so you all play. I'm sure you all compete or encourage each other and so forth. I cannot imagine what it would be like to be a bass. I mean, of course, you're, you're an extraordinary bass player, but to play Tony Levin when you do the <laughs> well, Crimson Project is the same thing as the Three of a Perfect Pair, right? And it's a similar thing. Yeah, that's it. Well, yeah, we're doing some of that music from from that era and that and that Three of a Perfect Pair music camp. Like that was the kind of the, the Crimson Project was born out of that camp technically if you, mm-hmm. but yes it's like doing that same style that 80s era the discipline the three of a perfect pair you know all the, the that era of crimson the 80s crimson where adrian was the front man you know and tony was on still tour space i mean it's, okay so what was it like playing with tony the first time when you meet him well, I was obviously terrified because, you know, he's one of my, you know, heroes. So, and he's, you know, always like, Adrian calls it the Tony Levin effect. He's just, you know, super cool. And, you know, he enters the room and it's like all the drama goes away. And it's just like, that's, there was no drama ever in Crimson Project. It was just like <laughs> the smoothest tour, like any rock band, you know, I think all of our drivers, you know, wishes that they, every band were like us, you know, like. A bunch of guys <laughs> over the age of 55 and a girl and, you know, <laughs> it's like so well-behaved. <laughs> um, but, you know, it still was crazy every night to to trade lines with him, you know, maybe, you know, especially when, you know, he gave me the lead in certain situations, like in Thela and Jinji, he would let me play some of his iconic riffs. You know, oh, and I thought that really? was so cool. You know, oh, yeah. And, um, and you know, the, one of the first times I ever really played with Tony actually was before Crimson Project, uh, almost 10 years ago. It was nine years ago in uh, Quebec City. We They have this awesome, my, one of my favorite festivals, probably my favorite festival, um, called the, you know, the Festival de Tay, the Festival of the Summer. And it goes on for two weeks. And we had played the year before and they loved us so much. We were voted like the best in show. We played during this crappy rainstorm and people still came out and like danced in the rain. It was great. So they invited us back and they had us open for uh Dweezil's band, Zappa plays Zappa uh-huh. on the, the same stage, like this kind of second big stage. And then on the main stage, we had a day off and then we played on the main stage uh, two nights later and opened for Primus as the Friends of the Crimson King, which was basically the first incarnation of the Crimson Project. <laughs> and it was when the California Guitar Trio was on tour with Pat Mastelato and Tony Levin. So it was the CG3 plus two, you know, tour. And then I was there with my brother. You know, my brother was in the Power Trio originally um, from 2006 until 2009. So when we first got the gig, we got it together. So that was like definitely no competition there. That was fun. Um, and we did this show together in 2008 and it was like the California guitar trio played a little bit, then the power trio played a little bit. And then we did the crimson encore, basically the same way crimson project started. Um, when we did the three of a perfect pair tour in 2011. Um, anyway, when we ended the show, Les came out and played Thalo with us. So there I was like 22 years old you know, 
playing Salem and Jinji with Adrian and Tony Levin and Les Claypool and Pat Masolato. It was insane. I mean, it's still the highlight of my career. I mean, I don't think I'll ever top it. How could I? It's ridiculous. I mean, in front of 15,000, you know, French Canadians with these, like, blinking, I can still see their, you know, they had these little pins that, you know, let you know that you got into the festival, you know, kind of like your ticket. And so they were all uh-huh. kind of blinking at, at the sunset, you know, in this encore. And Adrian decided instead of doing the crazy wacky guitar solos, you know, in the breakdowns where it's like, I couldn't see his face. I couldn't mm-hmm. see, you know, that kind of part. Um, yeah. He decided yeah. we were going to trade bass, bass solos. So I was like, on top of this nervousness that I feel <laughs> playing in front of 15,000 people playing with, you know, Twenty eleven and Les Claypool. Oh my God, I'm like freaking out. And meanwhile, you know the way the power trio sets up, we always have the drummer on, you know, the far left of the stage. You know, to to you know, on, to, to the way we're looking at the stage, to the audience is far right of the stage. To me, it's far left, and Adrian's in the middle, and I'm on mm-hmm. the right. Um, so the way this stage was set up, Pat was to my right. And Tony was in front of Pat, and Les just walked out on the stage with an Elvis mask, you know, next to Pat. So my brother was far, far away on the left side of the stage, and Tony didn't have a monitor because, honestly, Pat plays really, really loud. You don't need a monitor to hear Pat. And Les didn't have a monitor because he just walked out. It was just like a casual, let me sit in with the opening act and to be, you know, Adrian Ballou and Tony Levin and Pat Masolato. And you know, friends. Um, so <laughs> there's a certain point in the song where, you know, my brother is playing all the downbeats, but Pat was playing all this weird stuff, you know, I'll probably squeezing a panda or playing, you know, some electronic, <laughs> you know, thing. And so they totally got lost. They couldn't see my brother because he was so far, so far away on this giant festival stage and they couldn't hear him because they didn't have monitors. And so, of course, they didn't have Eric in their monitors, so they totally lost where the one was. And so they're looking at me with this desperation of, like, where is where is one? And so I'm like, are you got to be kidding me. Like, I'm showing Tony Levin and Les Claypool were one. So from that point on, I wasn't nervous to play with Tony ever again because I was like, how could it get more terrifying than that? Oh, beautiful. <laughs> but it was awesome. I mean, like I said, it's my favorite story because, I mean, it's insane. <laughs> I still can't believe it actually that, happened. <laughs> oh my gosh, I would think that would be something weird. You know, I think I would be so I could I would feel so hyped up all night long if this really happened. This really happened, and just be just be just wired. Oh my god! The oh whole my time, god. as it was yeah. as it was happening, I was like, oh my god, this is happening. Oh my god, this is happening. And then I was like, oh my god, I have to stay so low in front of fifty thousand people. And to, after this, 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 oh my god, and it was like I think my fingers felt like they were glued to the fretboard probably you know it was like they just wouldn't move when it was my turn I was like you know I was like I'll show you where the one is though I'll impress you with my time skills and ability to listen to a monitor which (laughs) (laughs) that's that is that is one of the best stories I've ever heard. That is perfect. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh, I love oh, it. Thank you. Hey, let me tell everybody. I keep I forgot. I'm having so much fun. Um, if you are listening live tonight, uh, which is Tuesday, July 25th, and you want to talk to Julie Slick, call six four six seven one six nine nine two two. That 
number is, again, 646-716-9922, toll-free in the continental U.S. If you have a comment or a question about the, from the, uh, let's see, uh, the Duchess of the Deep End, um, who showed <laughs> Tony the one, yes. I saw a base magazine that had him on the front that said, the Dean of the Deep End. I think, okay, well, I got the Duchess of the Deep End tonight. Um there you go. Oh God, that's a great story. <laughs> We're paying for it. I know. I, how a, how can I tell that? that? I was like, I was like, I was thinking that. I'm like, okay, well, I've peaked. I, this is my peak right here. But at least it's a good peak. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. You didn't peak too early. You didn't peak. This goes a lot more. But <laughs> yeah, I I just can't. Oh gosh, that's. I don't know. I don't know even what to say after that. It's like, I, okay, I'll, I'll lose every question I ever had for you because of that. Um, that I know, story. it's crazy. I mean, like, especially uh, this is like different generations of bass players. Like, I grew up, you know, looking up to both of them, of course, but, you know, being, you know, you know, in my early 30s, it's like, you know, Les Claypool, Primus, you know, mm-hmm. so, so mm-hmm. such a big influence to so many bass players my age. And then, of Tony, of course, such a big influence to Les, and of course to other bass players our age. So it's just, mm-hmm. it's just, it was so crazy, you know, to have those different generations. You know, it, that's the that's the awesome thing about music is that it just, you know, it really, it it breaks down those, you know, it has the ability to break down those boundaries, you know, in gender and 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 age and etc. You know. Yes, it does. Yes, it does definitely, and there's because uh, it's not it weird. It's not weird at all to be sharing a stage with a 67 year old. You know, it's like some people would think, "Oh, that's weird," <laughs> but totally not weird. And we have so much fun. We're like best friends. You know, it's great. <laughs> yeah, and you could always. I mean, yeah, you, we certainly felt that, and then on stage uh, with last time I saw you with the Power Trio, but yeah, sort of. Uh, I think there's a whole different camaraderie and respect mm-hmm. with different people like that. So, and if you came up and you, you came up and showed them who you were, and so, um, and I don't think you know. I mean, they were certainly respectful. Of course, you were there. You, you definitely knew your biz. You knew your instrument, but still, <laughs> think that the, um, yeah, the camaraderie. I don't know. Do you remember the movie The Wedding Singer with Adam Sandler? Mm-hmm. And Drew Barrymore, and because mm-hmm. uh, I remember there was a scene where the first scene with the wedding band, and you know there's like this one old guy, older guy, and then there's a guy with the dreadlocks, and the guy looks like um, what's his name from Dead or Alive, you know the kind of look. And I and my friend, the girlfriend with me says, they don't look like any of those people go together in that band, you know. She was laughing at that. So then, you know, because I had a jazz combo, so then I went home to my husband, so I was telling him about that. He goes, well, what do you think we look like? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. My, yeah, my drummer was between uh, a guy named Forrest. He played with TLC and then me and then India RE. So he was the drummer with the dreadlocks. And then the uh, 67 year old bass, or no, probably 70 something year old bass player, Neil Starkey, who played with Oscar Peterson and people back in the day. So we're all saying, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, you're right. So, um, but it's a different kind of uh, a feel, and it's good. It's like a family, yeah, it's like friends. That, yeah, and it's like that thing. It's that, that that you know that connection, that that language. You know, it sounds cliche. You know, the terminology using, but you know, it's it's true. You know, it's that totally that that universal language that really can like 
you know, connect generations, especially when mm-hmm. there's certain, Amen. Like a, a long enough gap, you know, I think, too, I think, you know, I, I find that, you know, the, the 15 to 20 year gap, I find, you know, it's like, those are the sort of like, that when it kind of repeats again, because it's like the, you know, the parents, you know, teaching the kids of the next generation, it kind of repeats like that. So it's kind of like goes in cycles, almost like, you know, a waveform a little bit, you know, it's like it goes out of phase where it's like, yeah, I don't really relate to the la- people of the last 15, but the people from, you know, 15 years, 20 years before that, yeah, I get them. And then of course the baby boomers, cause it's like my <laughs> parents and that's what I grew up with. And I understand the Beatles and the sixties and you know, all that. But I don't really get the 80s very much. (laughs) (laughs) But you got a good, a good knowledge horizon. Uh, Well, um, you know, I've, I've got a lot of your music. I've got um, one Echo Test CD, but I tried to upload a song to play, and it wouldn't. Also, with the group, um, this might be from Two Balconies, uh, a song called Dinosaur Fiction. And oh no, that's that's an old song actually. That's from the bass and drum duo that I had. But I got to tell you why I I listened to it before I down before I bought it, and then um and then I thought okay, this is as, as cool as it sounds, and so I want this. And um, well, I'm not gonna say, but you have to follow Julie. Her uh, website is julieslick.com you can find her on instagram and on twitter and on facebook and if you follow her on instagram and twitter you'll know why i like dinosaur fiction and you know why i'm saying that julie so i'm not going to tell you they've got to go find all this themselves okay yeah exactly and you'll so. see all my cooking my my if you follow my instagram so you'll see all my food that i make <laughs> So if I, but one thing I do have here, if I could play for you, it's just a little small thing. It's like less than a minute and a half time-wise, but it's the, um, uh, it's the Julie Slick, Adrian Blue Power Trio, B3 Bass Playthrough. I think it's the song E. I think this is just you. It's the song. It's so it's the song you, B3 from from E. B3. Oh, B3 from E. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, the whole album is like A B C D E. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, here we go.
Wow, <laughs> man. <laughs> what a, a love it, love it, love it. A lot of notes, a lot of notes. You don't get, <laughs> and you don't get paid per note, do you? We we, we always we love to wish we, we lament the fact that we don't. But <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I think, I think I'm Tobias, sure you do. It would be between me and Tobias. I think Tobias would win. He would have the, he would win the most. The most notes, probably. <laughs> He's like the, they call him the human hummingbird in Australia in uh, in South America. So, <laughs> I, no, all right. Well, when I finally get him on here, I'm I'm glad to know that. Hey, um, what what made you, what attracted you? What other instruments do you play, and what attracted you to the bass? Well, my it. dad is a is a collector of many fine guitars. Um, in the 80s, he got a lot of guitars when everybody else was buying synthesizers. You know, before he had me and my brother, uh, he got a really <laughs> sweet guitar collection. So he had one bass, and my brother basically was a drummer outside of the womb. Like, he was broke out of his crib, and my parents got him bongos, and then he had a kit, and it was just like, but he used to, we knew he was a drummer. I kind of, you know putts around, I did art, I did science experiments, I liked all different kinds of things, but never, and synthesizers, I never really played any guitar, though, or stringed instrument. Um, finally, when I was about 10, you know, this this felt like, you know, an eternity to me, not picking up an instrument. I was rebelling, really, you know, <laughs> and finally, I decided I was going to try to play guitar, and it really just frustrated me, like, it didn't, I don't know, it was just like, I could do power chords, you know, as as a kid growing up in the 90s, like many kids, you know, can relate. It was like all about the power chords, you know, Nirvana, you, you could do that kind of grunge stuff with just a root and a fifth on a guitar. But when it came to like, oh, no, open chords or, you know, things that sounded pretty to me that I wanted to do, it was just like too much work. So one day when I was 11, I, I looked at the bass guitar and my dad had one bass, you know, and it was this fretless Gibson Ripper which is, you know, a giant bass, you know, it's probably about yeah. as tall as I was at the time. And, you know, fretless, so, you know, could it, and not lined fretless, you know, so basically like yeah. an upright bass. Um, and so I was, you know, looking at this thing and I thought, you know, if I just play like one note at a time and it's, you know, it's just, it might be easier than the guitar. And it's like, I was, you know, very shy kid. And it just seemed to make sense. I could just, like, hide in the corner. And maybe my brother would, like, actually let me play music with him. Because at this point, I was, like, not really getting along well with people in school. Or, you know, I didn't really have any, like, friends with common interests. You know, so I really was, like, desperate to find something that, you know, I could. And my brother was becoming a better drummer. So he was, you know, meeting other musicians to play with. So, oh, nobody wants to play with me. So let me find something <laughs> So I, you know, picked the bass and it was just, it just made sense to me. And, and I realized, you know, I, I was getting my hair washed by my, I was getting my hair cut. And so I was getting it like washed by this bass player that would wash hair at the salon. And I remember him saying he realized he was a bass player because he would always pay attention to the bass lines of songs. And then I realized that I did the same thing and that's why the bass made sense, but it just like never clicked again. I was like, Oh, I'm a stupid 11-year-old, of course. Um, <laughs> so I finally made that connection. So I finally wasn't stupid anymore and realized I should play bass. And 
and and and then of course you know being a kid it's like you pick up something and you know, you're instantly pretty good at it it's like oh I'm gonna stick with this you know because I'm good at it and it's like and then my mm-hmm. mom said I remember she she looked at me and said you know isn't that like harder than the guitar the strings are thicker and it's, you know fretless isn't that more difficult mm-hmm. and that, that was like okay well now my mom's challenging me so this is going to push me even further and <laughs> doing it pursue you know and you know people are always looking for bass players to jam with so it was pretty easy right away to, to you know get my brother's interest you know to get him to to play with me again and the guitar player that you know had been getting really good that he was playing with was a student of Paul Green's and Paul Green is the guy that founded the rock school and it's the reason why Eric and I started you know got the gig with Adrian Blue you know 11 years ago so it all worked out it's just crazy how it worked out like that And see, what's so funny, I'm going, okay, what is she talking about? Because here you're saying, I tried this, I tried a guitar, this, it didn't fit. So then when I was 11, I'm going, oh, my gosh, you know, it's like, oh, I've been all these years trying. Then when I'm 11, and I'm thinking, mm-hmm. what is mm-hmm. she, this is, oh, I feel like such an under a, underachiever, slacker. <laughs> well, I said, well, to me, it felt like an eternity, because my brother's only a year younger than I am. And, you know, like I said, he was like, born a drummer you know he burst out of his crib you know playing you know and then they got him bongos and it was like he had a kit in the living room for you know when he from when he was five on so to me it felt like forever you know it was like 10 whole years had gone by and I hadn't played an instrument you know and 10 whole years when those are the only 10 years you've been alive that feels like 100 years you know (laughs) So, well, you got to like at long last, really finally, it, <laughs> it's like finally, 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 you know, found the base. And now it's been like 20 years later and here I am, you know, so it's been a wild ride. <laughs> what is, yeah, no joke. What is, what is the, and please forgive me if I say this incorrectly. What is the uh, slick six? I call that's what I my lovingly call my six string bass, which is one of the reasons why I stuck with the bass and why I thought it was so cool in the first place. The reason why I picked it up, you know, my dad was showing me. Of course, as soon as I started playing the bass, he's like, "Oh, I okay, she's she's excited about a musical instrument. Let me you know show her some of my stuff." Because they also, by the way, have like an insane vinyl collection and also some old VHS tapes. So one of them was Cream's Strange Brew. And in the Strange Brew video, Jack Bruce is playing a Fender Bass 6, which, you know, they designed in the 60s for the Beatles so that when, you know, Paul was playing piano and not bass, something that, you know, George could play or John could play bass on. I think George played it mostly. Um, He would play the bass lines on this Bass 6. And, you know, it's basically a guitar. People think it's a baritone guitar when they see it, but it's technically Mm -hmm. tuned like a guitar but an octave lower so the first four strings on it are a bass you know like a standard four string bass e a d g and then it has a two higher strings b and e so i use that with my band echo test because it's you know as you mentioned there's the italian band it's you know uh, marco is a bass player and he plays a five string bass so he's got the low b and so then i have a high b and a high e and then we both use lots of pedals and I also have MIDI on my Slick 6. So um, 
<laughs> I have abilities to like make it sound like an organ or you know a synth or guitar if I could tune it back up if I want or put it in a weird tuning altogether oh. like alternate tuning. So that's cool too. Okay, I think that kind of reminds me of a question my husband had for you, but I'll have to think about it. But but I have a caller coming. Someone is coming. Someone is coming into Madame Perry's salon here to visit us, and from Hooray. Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, hey, Julie, this is my BFF, Kenya Colbert. Kenya, come on in and talk to Julie. Hi, Julie. How are you? Hello. I'm very well. How are you doing? I am fine. Okay, so I'm listening, and I really wanted to call in, but you guys, Jennifer will tell you, I love music, but I can't play anything or sing, so I can appreciate those that can. <laughs> and the, the passion that I hear from you about the bass is like pretty. It's almost like you're talking about a man there, girl. You know this thing. <laughs> well, it's been 20 years. I've been playing it for 20 years. <laughs> exactly. I love that you really know it so, and I can hear in your voice and the way that you're describing. When it, it's, it's so funny to me, Julie, and you'll have to tell me if, if I'm wrong on this one, but it's so funny because when Jennifer said, you know, you're talking about the first 10 years, and you said, yeah, but it took forever to get there. Was that because <laughs> you knew that you were born to do something? You just wasn't sure what it was yet? And when you discovered that, that was it? Or was that just the opening of what you were looking for? I think so. I mean, you know, I I knew I always wanted to do something like different, like creative. Like I was good at school, but I knew I never wanted to like live for the weekend, you know, just like to have a weekend off and like I didn't want to dread Mondays ever, you know. And Ooh, so mm-hmm. I knew I always wanted to like pursue like just some like it didn't I knew it just didn't matter to me like if I was poor or I just yes. wanted to do something. And so you know, even like up until being 17 and already knowing like I wanted to play bass, I, when I went to college, I went to like recordings, you know, like audio engineering, because technically I was doing that before I even played bass. And I thought that's a good backup career, knowing like it's actually a lot <laughs> easier to find work as a bass player um, yeah. than as a female, especially female audio engineer, but of course also as an audio engineer in general, because um, there's a lot of them. Um not a lot of <laughs> bass players. Um, so that's good for me. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, so it's just, and then of course I, you know, just always daydreamed once I started playing music, you know, sitting in like sixth grade, just like imagining, you know, being on tour, being on stage and just, just fantasizing about it and believing it like, well, that's going to happen. And even wow. when I was in the rock school, you know, we went and we, we, we did, some pretty fabulous tours by the end of it. We had some great opportunities as it was growing as it is now the school of rock. They're, they're everywhere now. I mean, everywhere, literally like I just got off a plane from Australia and there was, I saw like a group of 30 kids in school of rock shirts and they were from the Australia school. <laughs> and like, wow. I was like, are you kidding me? It was crazy. Like there's literally everywhere. And it started in Paul Green's apartment and I was one of the first, you know, 30 students. Anyway, I'm going off on a tangent. Wow. Um, <laughs> But, but you know, it was like we had some great opportunities with that, like these kids, those kids do right now, you know. And I just knew, like, I didn't 
speaking of like what I talked about earlier, like peaking and stuff, like I knew I didn't want to peak with that. And like, I want to, I want to keep going and keep, you know, expressing, expressing myself, you know, around the world playing my music. There's something about when you were talking earlier and you were talking about the friendly competition, you know, between yourself and your brother and just that whole in your father and that being in your family and well, I mainly, not that, even in my, my family, not so much. My family was more supportive, you know. It was like, oh, no, play, you know, it was kind of like, here, these, here's these guitars you can play with if you want kids, you know. <laughs> and it, it was really more of a competition in the rock school, you know. Once we got to the to the school of rock, it was like, okay, now we're going to be, we're going to be, we're going to be performing a show every, at the end of every season and, you know, you want to be cast on all the best songs and, oh, the more the school gets, you know, recognized and the more we press we get, the better, you know, wow. the students that are going to be coming in, you know. So, of course, then, like, more talented students started coming in because, of course, the school's getting more opportunities. So those talented kids want some of those opportunities. So, you know, like these ringers are coming in and, you know, forcing some of the sure. original kids to work harder, you know, to, to, to you maintain their status. Boys. You know, what was that? You're trailblazers, though. Wow, you guys opened the door for everybody else to walk through. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, very. I mean, but we, we knew that when we were going through. It was like we knew it was totally something special and that it was going to only create something magical. And, it, you know, still can't believe that it happened so quickly that, you know, by the time I was 20, I was playing with Adrian. You know, yeah. it felt like I just stopped the school of rock. I was basically in college for two years, and then I got the gig. So it was ridiculous. Okay, so then what's it like being that age, playing with Adrian Ballou? My gosh. And then you see, you run into people that you knew from school, from the neighborhood, whatever, and they go, what are you doing? You know, you ask, what are you doing? And they'll say yeah. something, and then, what are you doing? Oh, I'm playing with Adrian well, Ballou. I think they, uh, I mean, not to sound like kind of obnoxious, but kind of a lot of them knew, of course, because it was like, Uh, why, you know, the slicks, you know, we got uh, the gig, you know, why them, you know, some of them, I think, felt that way, maybe like, I should have a gig, you know. (laughs) You know, know, and then I'll think about, they got the gig, but you don't. Right. Yeah. Hey, exactly. somebody, somebody else is coming. <laughs> somebody else is coming here, Madam Perry Salon. Uh, welcome. Come on in and talk with me and Julie Slick. I don't recognize. Yeah. You. Hi. It's dark in hi, here. Yes. Hi. <laughs> well, Julie might lead. recognize me. I. I. I it's Lee. funny. Okay. I. I knew it was going to be Lee. I knew it. I knew it. I was like. <laughs> Somebody else called in. It's going to be Lee. I'm ready for it. And then I heard hi. I'm like, it's Lee. I knew it. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a hi, Lee. fan from way back. And um, I I would like to hear uh, Julie talk a little bit about how Echo Test has evolved over three albums and where it's going. I mean, the, the third album is different in a lot of ways than the first two, and uh, I'm trying to anticipate where it's going to go, and I wonder where she thinks it's going to go. All right. I'm going to answer that directly then. All right. 
Yeah, so I'm I can't answer help this, you. Not I can't at help our, there, Julie. So I'm going to answer this. You're not, on your it's own. It's going to be early because we're going to play a house show at Lee's coming up <laughs> in next month. Oh, uh, okay. So, uh, but we could talk about this is a preview of that. So, no, we're still working on it now, but uh, where it's going to be different. Well, the last album was different in that, you know, we had more vocals. We have, like, you know, when Marco and I started, it was just the bass duo. So we kind of we keep adding more guests. You know, we keep, it's like we keep growing heads, literally. Um, so we started as two, and now we're, now we're, we're five-piece, essentially. You know, that's what we've been touring with. Um, so we're trying to in- feature that as much as possible on the new album. So uh, having, you know, we have another guitar player, Zach, that did our last tour, so Zach's going to be playing on, you know, almost all the tracks. We've been working on music. He's been showing me music. It's all very much in the, in, in you know, it's, it's, I would say halfway finished maybe to that point. You know, we have a lot of structures. We have like over an hour's worth of material, but we're right. taking a different approach. You know, it's not like this. It's not just me and Marco this time. You know, it's like. We're we're inviting, you know, right. you know other people's you but know it, influence. From two balconies is uh, kind of a, a dare I say it a concept album. Yeah, and so is this it's, one even more so probably. And this one too. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, and this one's you know this one's about kind of ghosts and spooky stuff, so it's going to be very dark. <laughs> Ooh. Oh really? Ooh, that hey, should I be did, the name of it. Two Halloween specials. Yeah. Hey, yeah, hey, so I, did two I know Halloween that's... specials every year. So you got to be in one of them. So. Don't you think? <laughs> okay. Lee? Yeah. I think ghosts and spooky stuff would be a great name for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are too bad we already have a name for it though. I've had a name for it for like five years. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us what it is, or is it a secret? I don't know. I I, think, I feel like I've already hashtagged it a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't keep us in suspense. <laughs> well, it's called Daughter of Ocean. It's oh, like an old oh, song that? from five years ago. So I've been like trying to make it into an album for a long time. And originally, I thought it was going to be um, like one big song, but that proved to be very uh, not possible. And then, like, I have, like, everything on one giant logic session, so it's very messy right now. So that's why I was like, it's about halfway done. I don't know. (laughs) We're working on it piece by piece. But Marco's been writing some really great, so I'm going to, like, keep the door open for new music to be added to it, even though we're, like, at over an hour's worth of music right now. Holy he cow. keeps writing good stuff, wow. so it's like, it's, and it all works with the theme. So it's like, okay, well, we'll just keep it, you know, keep whatever works, you know. We're not gonna cut out what doesn't, you know, what whatever fits mm-hmm. to make the best album, you know. If it has to be long, it'll be long, yeah. whatever, you know. Julie, but the good thing is, we just put out a record, so we don't have a rush to put this one. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell us where we can find you, find out what's going on with you? I know I've told people your website is julieslick.com. It can't get any easier than that. Yes, and, I need to um, update it, though. So you're you're going to you're gonna inspire me to, up, to meet with my webmaster tomorrow and update it after all these listeners check it out. 
<laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, because people have been asking me about this show uh, for a while. Oh, yeah, yeah you at JulieSlick.com, and then you're also, like I said, you're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook yes. and everything. And also make sure you check um, and make sure you check out my Bandcamp page because that's where all the music is. And if you you can become okay. a subscriber over there, you can become a VIP subscriber. It's as low as fifteen dollars a year. You can download all ten of my albums. You get like exclusive videos, plus like you know sneak preview releases, limited edition stuff, live albums, you know, that other people don't get. I'm, you know, all kinds of goodies. So, so starting at 15 bucks a year, a check it out. Membership. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It's definitely good. The yeah. Julie Slick VIP membership. That really is a good deal. Well, I have had such fun talking to you and I still got some more questions to ask you so maybe sometime when you've got time I don't know you're so busy but maybe you'll come back because I really really do have more questions to ask you and uh, oh definitely that was fantastic (laughs) yeah it did and you know and I loved loved the power trio when when we saw them recently and when we saw you guys at Terminal West and even after driving a show that hard straight on you were so friendly when we went to you know the tables when you were talking to us and and chatting you guys were still so friendly you must have been beat but you were so nice and uh oh but you know everybody I wish give us the energy you know you gave us a great show too you know you were a great audience to play for so we give it right back you know we're not tired after the show because we got the energy from you guys (laughs) Whereas, oh, wow, everybody's all electrified there. Hey, much success and luck in everything you do. I hope to eat some of your cooking again one day. Uh, again, not again, but hope to eat something you cook one day and uh, totally. hope to see you again live very soon. And uh, I'm just thrilled to have you here. So, folks, make sure. Uh, Kenya, also Kenya Lee, thanks for calling in. Lee, um, wish I could be at that house party. Thank you for listening to Madam Perry Salon and go out and buy everything that Julie Slick has. I love you. Everybody be good to each other. Mother Goose